Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Bite Show podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Lawman Lamont, standing in for LeGrand Jolly, and I am here with my singular best friend co-host of all time. You heard it. Dale, Count Elmdor Jones. How are you doing, Dale? Ugh, I'm tired. Good one. I've been uh, I've been out of commission most of this weekend. Just, I kind of came down with a sickness around Thursday, and uh, yeah, I was basically relaxing all this weekend. Is that what happens when you're oh, wah, ah, 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 down with the sickness? Yeah, you know, well, it's been it's been nice because I've been catching up on sleep a lot. Um. Since Thursday, <laughs> yeah. Any uh, good fever dreams to report? No, actually, you know, I, I, in general, I, I very rarely remember my dreams. Maybe you need to start like a lucid dreaming program and like get some of that weird uh, Jungian baloney going on. You no, know, sometimes a dream is just a dream. Sometimes it is just a dream. And uh, this podcast, believe it or not, is real, folks. We are going to be talking about the news, the new releases, and a special video game topic of discussion because it is our Top of the Week show. You know the drill. Uh, I think we might as well get started with this, Dale. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, We're going to start out with Nintendo. Nintendo uh, had a few big announcements this week, and one of them is, uh, I guess, technically kind of a small announcement because it is a new handheld game platform, the Nintendo 2DS XL, which is basically a larger version of the 2DS, which originally had come out in uh, 2013. And this one has a C-Stick. Yeah, that's right. So it's basically, essentially, a new 3DS, but in 2D. Yeah, it's, it's it all the best parts of the new 3DS XL. Uh, I saw you bagging on 3D on the internet, Dale. I saw you doing that. I'm very disappointed in you. In two dimensions. In two dimensions, yeah. It was, no, it technically was in three dimensions. I was just watching a two-dimensional surface. Oh, right. So, I don't know. Uh, so, in the United States, the 2DS XL will be available in a black and turquoise color scheme. I like that one in Japan, the orange and white. Yeah, the orange and white in Japan. Uh, so the they actually have announced a couple of different regions and, and uh, uh, I guess, schemes for this. So in the U.S., the uh, the black and turquoise version is going to be $149.99. That'll be on July 28th. In Japan, it'll actually be called the 2DS LL, which is kind of the, the name uh, that they're going to be using. You get there. that with hamburgers and stuff, too. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and that'll be on July 13th, so July release date for either of these. Uh, this is going to coincide with the release in the United States of the Miitopia game, which is sort of the role-playing game starring Mies, I guess, if you're interested in that, and also Hey Pikmin, which is the 2D reimagining of the Pikmin franchise. Uh, in uh Europe, there's not really any information yet about the launch or the price or whether it's even coming there. We have to assume that it will eventually. And um, this uh, this $149 version of the uh, DS, I, I I don't even know what to call these things anymore. Uh, the the is newest in, member of the DS family. It is. That's the best thing I can say. Uh, the 3DS XL is still $199.99. Which has always been really high, I think. And comes without a power adapter, but this one will come with. So if you buy the 2DS XL, new 2DS XL, I'm sorry, uh, you actually will get a power supply with it. You know, I think um, the only, um, pro- probably the main attraction of it being the the quote the, the new and with the C-Stick is that you can play the very few games that are exclusive to that variant, which would be like Xenoblade Chronicles X or 2 or... Whichever one it is that's on the the new 3DS, and mm-hmm. 
Are there any other games? <laughs> well, there's there's Scoopin' Birds. Okay, Scoopin' Birds, right? Scoopin' Birds with, with Alice, Alice Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Um, uh, that might be it. Yeah, there. Well, that might few. be it. But but you could also use that C stick with like Monster Hunter. Yes, that's true. It does have some. It, it actually functions as the um. What do they call that thing? That that extra piece that you can put on that extra nub. <laughs> the Frankenstein circle, circle Circle Pad Pro. It actually functions as a Circle Pad Pro as well. Right. Um, yeah. You can actually use that. Uh, so it also includes an NFC reader for Amiibos. Uh, it includes a four gigabyte micro SDHC card, and uh, as I mentioned, ships with an AC adapter. So. You know the the styling on the body looks a little more Switch like also than prior ds's right yeah it looks it looks kind of slick actually i I do kind of like the the look of the chassis but for me i would pay the extra 50 dollars for the 3d i may be the only guy but that's me that's i I would not no i know (laughs) i would i do want one of these though yeah i think i mean you mentioned just this past week even that you didn't have one so is this gonna do it well i I have see the problem is that what i have now is a 3ds xl Uh uh-huh I think that's the one, right? But that's yeah, it's not new though. Uh, it's uh, the regular 3DS XL, and I have a 2DS, which uh, is well. If you want to play Scoop and Birds, this is clearly your only choice, right? Nintendo also had some other announcements to make. They actually released their financials for the year ending 2017. Or I'm sorry, it would be the year ending 2000. Yes, year ending 2017. Yeah. So through March 31st. 2017 uh they have uh, expected an operating profit to land somewhere in between somewhere in the range of 65 billion yen over the next 12 months which is a number that they haven't really seen since about 2010 2011 which was when the wii was uh hitting its stride um they announced a few things along with this um the legend of zelda breath of the wild of course having its crazy attach rate they did confirm that more people are buying breath of the wild for the switch than are actually buying the switch somehow, in that weird way. Uh, Switch sales themselves are nearing about 3 million units. I believe the specific number was 2.74 million units. Uh, Incidentally, 2.6 million copies of uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, Yeah, like I said, this uh, really rivals um, back when they had uh, hit 77 billion yen in March 2011. Um, 3DS also had some uh, interesting news here. Uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon buoyed the platform to 7.27 million 3DS consoles in the last 12 months, um, bringing the life-to-date total for that platform to 66 million. Uh, Those two software titles, by the way, Pokemon Sun and Moon, sold 15.4 million copies between them. Uh, Super Mario Maker for the 3DS sold 2.34 million. Pretty uh, pretty impressive. Uh, Nintendo did not disclose any numbers or revenue for mobile games, but uh, estimates have uh, put them at a, you know, pretty tidy little sum for the um, Super Mario Runs and the Fire Emblem Heroes of the year. Uh, the Wii U, though, not looking so hot for the past 12 months. 760,000 units sold in the last 12 months, which is a decrease a decrease of 77% over the past year. Uh, that means that the final lifetime total sales for the Wii U is probably going to be in the neighborhood of 13.5 million, which is uh, not too great for the Wii U. But they've dropped it like a hot potato, so... Uh, yeah, kind of. They did to... a they did an Xbox on it. Yeah, which the, uh, I mean, 360. Nintendo did a GameCube back in its day too. So it uh, it happens. They just cut that stuff. Do, right do off. you think the GameCube was cut? I don't. I think I don't think the GameCube had a full five years. Uh, GameCube. Well, I mean, it dropped abruptly. There were a lot of titles that were coming out for the GameCube mm-hmm. that never. That they basically got shunted over to the Wii. 
um, including, um, you know, The Legend of Zelda at the time, mm -hmm. uh, The Twilight Princess. Um, uh, there was the uh, Donkey Kong Bongo Racer, which I, I really wanted to use my bongos on that game. And then they moved it to you the Wii U. You know, I guess, I I guess the Wii U was around about as long as the GameCube. Uh, probably yeah. a little bit less. Because that, that came out in 2012, didn't it? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And I doubt as many people are going to remember it as fondly yeah. as the GameCube, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Sony has also announced some information about the PlayStation 4. The latest sales numbers for that platform bring it up to 60 million units total shipped worldwide, uh, they announced. Uh, that includes 2.9 million units shipped during the fourth fiscal quarter, which is uh, in and of itself up 26% over the same period a year ago. Uh, Sony is forecasting a downturn for the current fiscal year. The company expects to ship 18 million PS4s by the end of April 2018, which would actually be a 10% drop. Uh, the PlayStation 4 is getting pretty close to uh, the PlayStation 3, so PS4 is at 78 million units total lifetime worldwide. Uh, the PlayStation 3 ended its life, or... I guess currently, I guess that they're still sort of shipping it, uh, at about 80 million units. Um, the uh, company's 2017 forecast calls for sales to hit $16.88 billion, um, which uh, is nothing to sniff at. <laughs> Uh, Kenichiro Yoshida, who is the CFO of Sony, said during a briefing that uh, some major software titles are scheduled to be launched during 2017's fiscal year, which includes things like Uncharted The Lost Legacy, Gran Turismo Sports, uh, as well as third-party titles such as Destiny 2 and Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, and although Sony does not break out the PS4 Pro sales, uh, Yoshida had said that PSVR and PS4 Pro both are continuing to sell well. Uh, there have been some announcements in the software sector as well. Overwatch, uh, almost three months since their last announcement. So three months ago, Blizzard said that uh, Overwatch has about 25 million players. Uh, as of today, only 90 days later, the FPS now has more than 30 million players across both console and PC platforms. Uh, I mean, that I, I guess that's probably about all there is to say about that. You know, they are planning on doing some new modes, at least three new maps going to be released uh, later this year. Um, the Overwatch Uprising event that uh, is currently going on, or I guess by the time you listen to this, it may be getting close to being over, has been uh, pretty popular. And, and I don't know, uh, something like Overwatch, which is, uh, I guess it's not quite a year old. I guess it was summer of last year it came out, right? Um, oh, yeah. But that, that's a pretty impressive uptake for something that is that old, right? I mean, 5 million new players in 90 days, uh, you know, 9 months on. Uh, I mean, that's something. So I guess if you're playing Overwatch, you're in good company on either PC or console. And uh, yeah, we actually did talk about the Overwatch Uprising event on our show at the beginning of April, so go check that out. Um Kind of in the margins of video game console news, uh, something weird happened this week. Someone actually made Nintendo Switch into a viable VR platform, and it wasn't Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo, of course, has been a little bit hesitant to get the Switch into VR mode. Uh, Nintendo president Tatsumi Kimishima said that uh, primarily comfort issues with prolonged play are kind of the, the main problem with trying to do VR. Uh, they said that if uh, if they can overcome those issues, the company will definitely do VR. Um, in fact, Nintendo actually did patent a VR headset that basically appeared to be a, um, a headset that you put the Nintendo Switch tablet into. And that's exactly what happened. So a YouTuber named Nintendrew uh, decided to get the drop on Nintendo and uh, found a tablet-focused <coughs> VR headset called the Durovis, Dro uh, the Durovis Dive 7 uh, and found that Nintendo Switch basically just fit 
right into it. Uh, at that point, he recorded his own footage of Ocarina of Time 3D from the Nintendo 3DS, uh, played it back as side-by-side -side footage on YouTube, and then put the Nintendo Switch into browser mode and fit it into that Jerovis Dive 7 uh, encasement and uh, basically tried it out, and it turns out that it works. However, uh, of course, as we probably already can tell, the Nintendo Switch is not ideal for this sort of thing. Uh, Nintendo found that each eye only has about 500 pixels of uh, real estate to work with, and the overall resolution of the tablet really isn't that good at all. But uh, practically, I mean, just in, in the pure sense of being able to do it, uh, kind of an ingenious little way to, uh, to go about it, and... Uh, you know, if you're interested, uh, actually, there is a uh, a uh, YouTube uh, video of this happening, and uh, you know, not very practical, but it mostly just is a proof of concept type thing. So it's more than Nintendo can say. It's kind of like guess, that Gear VR thing, except the uh, I think most phones now are probably higher resolution than the Switch. The thing about the Switch, though, is it already has those detachable dual controllers, you know, and they're like all motion controlly and stuff. Oh, I mean, that's true. they yeah. have some. I mean, do, do they do they function as pointers, or is it mostly just the gestural stuff, like the waggle? Uh, you can definitely do the um, because it has the IR, right? Like the at least the Joy-Con R has an IR yeah. blaster thing. So yeah. I would think you would be able to like do a sort of Wii esque point at it, but not if it's on your face, right? So I don't know. yeah, I guess that's true. Unless there's something that you fit on the... Well, I don't know. I guess that thing is just a dock anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it seems like there's some potential there, and, and I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily trust Nintendo to do something like VR anyway, but uh, I guess if they wanted to, they could they could put something... They could put a 240p headset together out of the, out of the Nintendo Switch. And they could sell uh, Virtual Boy games on the on the eShop that you can play. On the eShop that they... Yeah, and you can pay a subscription for that, too. To play some Red Alert, yeah. Red Alarm, whatever that game was called. Tennis. Yeah. Um, in other actual big boy VR news, um, Oculus, among others, will not be attending the Electronic Entertainment Expo in Los Angeles this year. Good. Um, it's Well, here's the thing. So Oculus has been at the event uh, every year since 2014, with the size of their booth basically doubling every year since then. Um, they aren't really giving any information about why they're not going to be here. Uh, there are other um, software companies and uh, uh, you know entertainment companies that are skipping the event, uh, such as Electronic Arts is not going to be there. Disney Interactive is not going to be there. Activision is not going to be there. Uh, from what I understand, Nintendo, who's never going to be there, uh, may not even be doing a digital event of their own to coincide with E3 this year. Really? So the um, you know, the E3 itself is kind of in a in a transitional period. In fact, remember, this is the first year that E3 is actually going to be open to the public. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Up until this point, it's basically been an, a trade show for insiders uh, that people would sneak into. Uh, now, now you can't even do that. They'll just sell you a ticket to get in. So it's it's not cool anymore, you guys. You could so. sneak in if you wanted to. Yeah, that, that's probably why Oculus isn't going to go there. They're just going to say they're not going to be there and they're going to sneak in. Um, this year, of course, Palmer Lucky uh, has departed Oculus under some weird circumstances, so definitely could have something to do with just PR-facing stuff. But remember, there will be third-party companies and software providers uh, who are going to be using Oculus as a platform who will probably have an opportunity to be showing it off. So, you know, the fact that Oculus themselves may not be there, uh, they would probably just be consolidating all of the various Oculus VR titles. That are Oculus, like, anyway. number one... Uh, customer is going to be like it's going to be like Uber or or Google or somebody that's going to buy them for some you know pie in the sky service that's never going to actually materialize. It could it could do it could do. Um, 
I, and I think currently the name of that company is Facebook. So. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So anyway, if you're looking for uh, Oculus, uh, they, they may do some some things of their own, but uh, not going to be at E3 this year. Uh, the other thing that's not going to be this year is the Red Dead Redemption GTA 5 mod. Uh, there's been a fan project ongoing to port Red Dead Redemption into Grand Theft Auto 5 on PC, and uh, after releasing a trailer... Guys, never release a trailer of the cool mod project that you're <laughs> doing, because you're just going to bring down the wrath. And uh, that's actually what happened. So screenshots of this project uh, were released last month. A uh, trailer came out uh, here just this past uh, Friday, and uh, it was swiftly pulled offline by Rockstar. Uh, Mr. Leisureware, who is the leader of the project, says, I know this is a hard pill to swallow, but as you may have noticed, we did get contacted, and we sadly have to say we are stopping this project. Uh, Mr. Leisureware is apparently UK uh, is apparently EU-based, and is concerned, he says, uh, they can sue me for the fact I've provided a tool that reverse engineers their property, which in the EU, where I am, uh, they're not mild on. Um, so the trailer basically shows the uh, the map, the, the big sun-swept map of uh, Red Dead Redemption, uh, you know, in, in the GTA V engine. Uh, looked pretty all right, you know, it looked like it could have been something cool, but of course we know that Rockstar themselves are launching Red Dead Redemption 2 later this year on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, possibly on Is PC. that coming out this year? Uh, I think that's what they're saying, November, I believe it was, so we're planning on seeing that by the end of this really? year. Really? Wow. So, yep, so uh, if you were looking forward to the fan project, just, uh, I guess, spend the money with Rockstar and get the you real know, thing. When that when that trailer came out, I think this is toward the end of last year, whenever that... Mm-hmm. trailer came out uh there was a lot of people real excited about it but i haven't heard a word since uh i don't think they had a lot to show i mean i i mean rockstar themselves have been silent on it ever since then remember they did that thing where they showed the two and then the uh, uh you know the the two-tone thing with the the silhouettes of the people yeah, and it all, it all culminated in like a minute long sort of teaser yeah sort of thing and you know i i, I I don't know. A company like Rockstar and, and Take-Two, I don't think they've got a lot to prove to anybody. So I think it's basically going to be, you know, when the thing comes here, you're probably going to see a pretty big blitz the, you know, the month before, maybe. That's, I um, mean, I, I know that's true. And, like, I just saw some numbers for um, GTA 5 versus GTA 4 and how it was, it's, like, continues to make all this money, right? But, like, how long can you go being this sort of like just sleeping giant that no one ever talks about until it's been so long that nobody even remembers you're there. And but the and when the next that... game comes out, everyone's aged out of your your stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they're they're still making more people though, so there's gonna be new new little consumers. Yeah, but those people are goods. like they're too busy with their like Snapchat and, and you know all that stuff. They they're not gonna play Grand Theft Auto, right? I don't At know. some point, I mean, there there comes a time when Grand Theft Auto Six doesn't make any money. So. Theoretically, but until then, they're making like all the money. I mean, they're making they're they're like yeah, the they're, Nintendo Evergreen with the GTA uh, Five, you know, yeah, for so, sure. <laughs> I guess once we start, once just, we start to come out of the other side of that bell curve, I'll I'll let you know. But up up until that point, I figure it's gotta happen at some point. Especially because as little as little as they do to promote themselves, right? I mean, yeah, you're correct. It seems like they don't have to, but I think that can only work until it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Coca-Cola still spends money on advertising all the time. Exactly. So, I don't know. 
here's something that's been going on for quite a while, Dale, that might interest you. Uh, the oldest, maybe going on about three years, the oldest of the mysteries in Elite Dangerous, uh, Uber Nerd Space Exploration Simulator, uh, Formidine Rift. I don't know if that name means anything to you, but apparently uh, this kicked off back in 2014 with the release of a, a canon novel. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually uh, novelizations about Elite Dangerous and uh, Elite Reclamation is the name of this book, and it features a segment in which an old lady named Rebecca, who uh, speaks about something lost in the Formidine Rift, uh, her memory's been wiped, uh, but she says that she knows that whatever's there is extremely dangerous. Um, and people have been trying to figure this out ever since then, because since it is a canon novel, there actually are crossover transmedia hints, and it's sort of like an alternate reality game type thing. And so people have been trying to figure this out. In fact, there's actually a user group called the Children of Raxla. Uh, Raxla is the name of a lost planet that's described in the original Elite novella, I guess if you bought the game. I don't know. Did you read that, the, the novella that came with no, it? No, I haven't I haven't dug into any lore really whatsoever. You've got to get into the lore, game. man. you to you got to do this. you gotta, you got to go in for like full throttle. So I've explored by, by quite the, a bit of the galaxy itself, but yeah, not the, not the lore. All right. Well, let me let me clue you in. So uh, the children of Raxla have found uh, because you know Frontier, the the company that makes Elite Dangerous, they basically will drip feed out little hints and little timed event based things. I mean, of course, there's the the thing going on with the aliens, the um, Thargoids. Thar, yeah, those things. Um, so I guess what's been happening is uh, they've. There's been a release of a transmission from an old Cobra Mark III, which I think that's the very first starting ship. It's like the little no, that's one of the it's one of the first ones you would upgrade to probably. But it's Uh, you you start out in a sidewinder. Got it, got it. Uh, So a transmission from a scrapped Cobra Mark III uh, released via the Galactic News Network in game. it consisted of a series of about 20 mythological references, and so these children of Raxla and the Elite Dangerous community uh, got to work. They uh, basically found that there was a code inside the transmissions. There were there were letters that uh, included the word Rebecca, so people kind of knew that she was involved somehow. Um, people eventually traced this to a, a particular system within the Formidine sector. Um, there's in in the book there was sort of like a second star to the right and straight on till morning directions on how to get there. Those kinds of things. So eventually people found in uh, in orbit around the first planet in this particular system uh, a signal there, and it turns out it was a derelict gargantuan megaship, which is one of the new class of ships in Elite Dangerous. Uh, the recent 2.3 Commander's update included these. So people found this giant megaship, um, which looked to be a human ship, not aliens, and they found audio logs and all sorts of things. Um, and within the... Uh, you know, within the story or within the fiction of the game, uh, the Federals, Imperials, and Alliance apparently all know about whatever's going on out here, and uh, they're basically all scared that something terrible is going to happen. So, so Dale, I just wanted to bring this into the news for your benefit because um, you got to get into the lore. You've got to tell us what's going on. We really want to know about this most ancient. Yeah, I was thinking. Um, <clears throat> it's funny because uh, just earlier today, um, I was hearing another account of. Uh, someone that had, had recently gone back and, and was playing more Elite. And um, they mentioned this also. And, well, they don't uh, seem to hit you over the head with a lot of the lore. Like, it's if, maybe if you come across no, it, right? I mean, they don't... It's pretty optional. Yeah, it's very, very optional, like you said. Um, and But yeah, I was thinking about, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I should go back and um, push my spaceship around some more. Uh, 
But it's, it's this is very much so the sort of thing that would be in the background because, like, in order to to be a member of this Children of Lax, Raxla group or something like that, you'd have to be like pretty hardcore into the game, um, and in in like the online communities and stuff too. Um, Got to be into those args. You'd have to be outfitted pretty well as an explorer to make it out to the. Um, the Formidine Drift, because I'm taking a look at, at, at the uh, galaxy map right now, and the area where this uh, apparently is is probably tens of hours of travel time away from the sort of bubble of space that uh, everyone occupies in Elite. Um, so I think it would be like, honestly, I think it would be quite a commitment just to like get yourself out there to see this new ship if you wanted to do that well then maybe what we'll do is we'll just scrub the news sites for uh, information after they actually reveal something and we'll we'll call it good yeah yeah sounds good yeah all right uh so uh in real world news uh a teenager who is behind some major hacks of microsoft and sony has uh, had the hammer of the legal system brought down upon him eurogamer is reporting that uh, uh european teenager Adam Mudd has been sentenced to two years in prison after creating software used to hack businesses such as Microsoft and Sony. Uh, The Guardian reports that uh, Mudd created Titanium Stressor when he was only 16 and then set up a business selling it to other hackers, making about £386,000 sterling in the process. Uh, His work was found to be accountable for 1.7 million hacks, uh, he was also found guilty of personally carrying out 594 distributed DDoS attacks against 181 IP addresses. Um, as far as gaming goes, uh, RuneScape had suffered 25,000 attacks. Uh, up to six million pounds were co- were uh, incurred to try and beef up security against those. Uh, other revenue loss that they reported 184,000 um, pounds. You know, this stuff has real world. Uh, you know repercussions and uh, Mud lived with his parents at the time uh, says that he wasn't motivated by money instead it was just status among people in the online hacking community um, apparently showed no no emotion as he was sent to a young offender institution uh, part of the reason I brought this up is remember last week there was a study about uh, cheat codes in games making uh, people <laughs> like uh, Adam Mud more more likely to, to come to pass um, you know the uh, issue was that cheat codes would give people that thrill of being able to break the system essentially and uh so we've actually seen uh you know i don't know maybe he got his start with uh you know no clip mode in doom i i don't know just saying gateway cheat yep exactly right so everybody uh watch watch your kids uh make sure you know what cheat codes they're using because uh you you don't want to go into juvie uh Atlas actually has uh, made the news again. You might remember a couple of weeks back, they had some pretty draconian restrictions, or at least made the noises of draconian restrictions for streaming of Persona 5, their most recent uber-hit JRPG dating simulator. Uh, Originally, Atlas had said that it would uh, have penalties or... or, I guess, I don't know, spankings for people who stream sections of the games after the in-game date of July 7. Uh, They've now restructured their rules, walked back on that, issued some apologies. Now people can stream all the way up until the 19th of November in-game when the main story gears up for the final act, quote-unquote, which which means that uh, the first 
eight out of nine months, I guess, are uh, now available to stream. Uh, which, again, this all kind of sounds ridiculous, because I don't really yes. know what Atlas is doing to enforce this. But uh, Atlas, in a blog post, said, To our surprise, we saw numerous reactive news articles go up, opinion videos posts, and received many emails asking us to please change our Persona 5 streaming video policy. We recognize that our fans are the reason why the game is the major worldwide success it is, and we continue to want them to be able to enjoy the game without fear of being spoiled. Uh, however, we also heard your issues with the guidelines and have decided to revise them. And uh, as I mentioned, the revisions, uh, you know, essentially give you the ability to go further in-game. Um, and uh, the publisher also said that the tone of their previous message misrepresented its intention. In fact, you might remember the U.S. office had said something about its masters in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the, uh, the issue was, I guess, less about restrictions and copyright strikes as much as, according to them, they wanted to set up a proper etiquette for, not how, for how to not spoil the story-driven nature of the game. They said, we also want to apologize to those of you who saw the previous guideline blog post as threatening. We clearly chose the wrong tone for how to communicate this. I am still not really clear on what exactly they can or would do to somebody who streams... They would complain to most... YouTube and yeah. get their channel had a strike on it or whatever. I guess. I don't know. But if I you're mean, not on YouTube, that... who cares, right? Yeah, well, I wonder, like, is that... Is all YouTube streaming happening right now just by the, by the grace of the people who made the game? I mean, is that yeah. essentially where we are with it right now? So, yeah, I guess I guess I suppose they... Could probably do that. Yeah, totally. I, don't know. I don't know how successful that's been. I mean, Nintendo's always been like real bad about, um, you know, having people's videos taken down for streaming their stuff, right? Yeah, they are kind of weird about that, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, another weird situation uh, now involves Tekken 7, uh, which launched in Japan two years ago, but it is due this June in the West. And uh, Tekken, of course, the popular fighting game by uh, Katsuhiro Harada. Uh, well, typically, the last couple of games have featured a boxing kangaroo named Roger Jr. Um, unfortunately, due to complaints, though, Roger Jr. will no longer be included in the new release of Tekken 7. According to Harada, there was a video of a man's dog being headlocked by a kangaroo, and he punched it in the face. It turned into a big problem. Uh, people were complaining about him punching a kangaroo. It seems that in the last few years, there's a lot more animal activists. Even though they probably wouldn't play our game, they would still hear about that, about a kangaroo in our game being punched, and would complain about it. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what to say about that. Uh, apparently, uh, a fighting character in Tekken 7 is being removed because of a video about a dog being headlocked by a kangaroo, and the man punched the kangaroo in the face. Um, I don't know. It's uh, wild. Kuma the bear will still appear in Tekken 7 uh, because he is, quote, obviously stronger than a human being, uh, according to Harada. And even with the removal of Roger Jr., there will still be 38 playable fighters. Uh, no word whether they're going to bring back Alex from Tekken 5, who's like the Velociraptor with the uh, the punching gloves. Um, maybe that's what they'll do. I don't see anybody complaining about any raptor punching uh, going on online. So what about Heihachi? I mean, you can punch an old man. That's okay. He's a ripped old man, though. I mean, I what about Xiao Yu, like a young Chinese girl? Is that okay to punch her? Uh I mean, she's gonna kick your butt. So I don't know. Kangaroos, though, Dale. We can't cross the kangaroo line. I guess so. 
can't cross it. Uh, Germany also is known for having some lines that you don't cross, and one of the unfortunate victims of that was the original Half-Life, which has been, up until this point, censored with a lot of weird things. Human enemies are being replaced by robots, um, enemy deaths without any blood, uh, the barnacle things, the the little uh, you know droopy tongue guys, yeah. when you shoot them, normally guts and jibs would spill out, mm-hmm. but they have springs, I guess, that come out in the German version. Uh, friendly NPCs would sit down and shake their head when you shoot them. Um, you know, just those kinds of things. And apparently, up until this point, it has been censored all these years. But according to Schnittberichte, uh, reporting in Germany that uh, in Germany's catalog of censored games, Half-Life has now been removed. And again, this is the original Half-Life. Uh, Valve is now free to sell the standard version of the game in Germany. And um, I don't know. I, I kind of just would like to know how we could get the censored version of the game here in America, because that kind of sounds pretty amazing. Um, but if you're in Germany, have not played the original NSFW version of Half-Life, uh, go get it, folks. You can, you can make it work. Uh, the last NSFW item on the news today, uh, we're going to go back to, to, to uh, Conan Exiles for just a minute because uh, the game has added some new dance emotes. And uh, when you combine that with the fact that there is full nudity, um, it's not pretty. And, uh, you know, this is an audio format podcast, but I invite you to go check out some of the GIFs online for the uh, weird dancing and running. And, uh, you know, here on PC Gamer, they've got one where people are like sinking into the sand with appendages flying everywhere. Um, It's pretty disgusting. But, uh, you know, we we just report the news that is. We We don't try and filter this stuff. We just tell you what's important. And that is the news for this week. Wow. Amazing. I know. Uh, well, let's move on to the new releases for this week, and we can run through these fairly quickly. We have the big things this week. Uh, well, the biggest is probably going to be Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. This is the uh, Switch re-release of the big hit Wii U classic uh, Mario Kart 8. Uh, this one having all of the, the DLC and stuff that they eventually attached onto that game all included from the get-go so that's yeah that's nice and apparently it's a it's a very good game has a new battle mode that the uh, wii u version did not have which yeah. um, is apparently a lot of fun so yeah that's... Uh, it was weird too because they did just like reverse like you'd play the tracks in reverse and shoot shells at each other was basically the battle mode in the original yeah that seems kind of like half half ass in it doesn't it <laughs> yeah it was kind of kind of lame uh, but the but the new one apparently is is good there's the new battle mode rather and, and, you know, currently you can play online for free, but the That's online right. service for the Switch is going to be releasing sometime here soon. Yeah, this you'll is be paying for that fall stuff. 2017, I think is what they said for that, something like that. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, that's that'll be interesting when they get around to announcing what all that is going to entail, right? Right. Um, also up on the Switch, on the eShop, is a game called Kamiko. Um, yeah. And it's kind of a cute little, like, it kind of looks a little bit like Hyper Light Drifter, maybe, but it's it's sort of like an action game. Like, if you can imagine The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, um, except a, a rapid-paced, pixely action game, uh, it's only five bucks. So part of the thing that it's got going for it is that it's cheap, and uh, it looks like a cute little game. It, it's cheap, you know, and it's on a system that people are still probably going to want to buy a lot of new stuff for. You're going to need some games, yeah. Exactly. Um this is the same system where the Binding of Isaac is like sixty bucks. So yeah, th- yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, this looks neat. It's got a cool kind of pixel style, and it looks like a neat little action game. So five bucks, you could probably do worse. Um, 
Little Nightmares is available on PSN, Xbox One, and PC for $20. Yeah. And um, this is this is what? It's a, kind of a like a 2.5D platformer, like a creepy one, sort of in the style of... Um, well, it, it's by Tarsier Studios, who does Little Big Planet 3. Um, and so you can sort of imagine like a dark and, and kind of creepy, you know, like dolls with knives, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, it just kind of looks cool. Uh, you know, Arby's tweeted about it, so I knew it must be cool. We had to have it on the new releases list for this week. Well, there you go. Arby's, <laughs> uh, also available. Uh, and I, I, did this not, maybe this is already out on PC or maybe it's coming later. Uh, the Telltale's Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy series. Yeah, I believe that did come out on PC, so it might be that the... Yeah, I want to say it's been out for a week or two already. Uh, it's one of yeah. those things where they stagger the releases, apparently. But uh, that is now going to be available on the PS4 and the Xbox for $30. Um, also coming to PC this week, uh, the Wii classic, Dub Blob. Oh, yeah. Uh, for $15. The, the color painting. Like, you... you take the blob and like run him on the, the buildings and it colors them all up. Yeah. Something like that. I, I, I remember it was like a THQ release, like a long time ago. It's been, been quite a while. It got a now. sequel. There was the blob too. Yeah, I think there was right. The blob. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of odd that it would come to PC, but I, who knows, you know, it is. Well, we were talking before the show too. And, and we mentioned this in previous shows. There is a ton of software that is kind of like trapped. I mean, this one was a retail release, so it's not as big a deal, but like we wear games, um, where are they going to go? Uh, gosh, if I know. Yeah. I wonder if this is one that was picked up by, um, THQ Nordic or whatever. Nordic. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll have to like look into that kind of on my off time. Uh, also, uh, the big release this week in, in my world over here is uh, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War three. And that's the F no, not the FPS. That's an RTS. Is that right? Yes. It's a, it's an yeah. RTS series uh, in which the first was a very much your sort of like Starcraft mold RTS. The second was like more like a, um, imagine like the hero units from Warcraft three kind of mixed with like Diablo. Um, it was almost as if you were playing like a weird sort of MOBA slash Diablo hybrid thing, uh, which was cool. really interesting. And uh, this game is kind of a synthesis of those two um, molds. So it's like you have a little bit of the base building and the, the sort of conventional RTS stuff. And then you also have the hero units um, alongside that. And uh, I've played the first couple of missions in the, the campaign so far, and it's, it's pretty cool. So looking forward to digging into that more for, for the Wednesday show probably. Yeah, neat. And that is only available on the PC, so because it, it's a mouse and keyboard game, right? right. Um, but yeah, uh, looks like we got some Xbox games with gold releases and PS Plus. And this is our first episode coming into the new month uh, on the Xbox games with gold uh, for May. It looks like uh, two Star Wars games. Uh, looks like we have. The Force Unleashed 2, which I want to say the original Force Unleashed was on this program in the last couple of months. So if you've been a subscriber to Xbox Live Gold, you might have both of these now. Um, and I believe both of them would be playable on the Xbox One. So uh, try that out. They also have Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga uh, is going to be in the latter half of the month. Um, we also have on the uh, Xbox One 
um, the Gianna Sisters Twisted Dreams Director's Cut. That's oh, going to be yeah. available. That's a cool game. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard Gianna Sisters. It's like a... Uh, I mean, it's sort of a joke on the Mario Brothers. That's how it started uh, out, but it's it's clearly evolved into its own thing. Oh, like, it's this own this thing. game itself is actually... I, I have it, and I've played it on, on Steam. It's a pretty solid platformer. Hmm. And then Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris, which is the uh, sequel to Guardian of Light. It's kind of the top-down, puzzly... Uh, presumably co-op. I don't know. I think there's some co-op. I believe it too, is. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. Um, so those are the four games that they're rotating through uh, May on Xbox. Over on the PlayStation blog, they uh, laid out the games that are available on PS4, PS3, and Vita. Uh, Tales from the Borderlands, the PS4 um, Telltale game, uh, which was one of my favorites a couple of years back. Definitely tried that out. It's got a great, um, great style of humor. Uh, Jared actually played through it entirely, I believe, on our YouTube channel, so you can go check out his playthrough at right. uh, youtube.com slash show. Abzu, the underwater splashing around, diving with grace into the water game on PlayStation 4. Blood Knights on PS3, which is a, an isometric uh, top-down dungeon hack-and-slash type game. Port Royale 3, Pirates and Merchants on the PlayStation 3. And then on the Vita, Laser Disco Defenders, which is on Vita and cross-by with PS4. And also Type Rider which is on PlayStation Vita, cross-buy on PlayStation 4, and those will be available on the first Tuesday of May. Those are our new releases. All right. Well, let's move on to our topic this week. This week, we have elected to discuss, uh, in great detail, of course, uh, some of our favorite video game villains. So, Heck yeah. Uh, what, do you, what do you got, Bowser? Uh, I didn't even think of Bowser. Why didn't <laughs> yeah. I think of Bowser? Mother I liked Bowser when he was called King Koopa. King Koopa, yeah. Yeah, no, I've actually got some real serious ones. These are going to be kind of severe. All right. Um, my first one, I'll, I'll do these in what? Like chronological order, let's say. Um, I really liked the Ultima series. Uh, I love Ultima, uh, the PC RPG. Yeah, who, the who's back. the big bad in Ultima? Uh, well, it kind of just, so the funny thing about Ultima is that there are nine games and they're sort of laid out and they sort of called it a trilogy of trilogies. And thematically, the first three games are kind of about the founding or the instituting of the Avatar as a figurehead and as a, uh, a, a paragon of virtue. Uh, the game four, five, and six are kind of about uh, reinstating the virtues throughout Britannia. And then game seven, eight, and nine, that's the Black Gate. Uh, uh, Pagan? And, and then also, yeah, the, well, then Serpent Isle was the expansion for that. Then uh, Ultima 8 Pagan, and then Ultima 9 Ascension kind of got into the idea that the virtues and the virtue system of Britannia isn't, isn't all powerful or isn't all, you know, it's not everything. And in that latter set of games, they introduced a villain called The Guardian, who is kind of, um, you know, Ultimo has never been shy about being like an interdimensional sort of thing. I mean, the entire basis of the game is that you, the Avatar, are a character from Earth, our Earth, who goes to this like fictional fantasy land. So they, they did a lot of dimension hopping. And so The Guardian, starting with Ultima 7, was like this big, he's basically like a big red Moai head. Um, like, like with these yellow eyes, and he's kind of like this um, really insidious character. And in Ultima 7, 
the Black Gate, all of Britannia has been, in the absence of the Avatar between games, all of Britannia has been sort of subverted by the idea of the Fellowship, which is kind of this pseudo-religious Masonic organization, um, and, and everything is very secretive, and there's these murders going on, and, you know, the Avatar has to kind of figure this out, but it's all being orchestrated behind the scenes by the Guardian, who is able to uh, appear in in dreamlike form and to to create suggestions and to kind of be the puppet master for all of this bad stuff that's happening all throughout. He taunts the avatar continuously. You can like hear him talking to you. Sometimes in cutscenes, he'll you know his big red head will like come out of this blue static and he'll like you know tell you things and and uh, so know, what's what's his deal? You. Is he another avatar? What's so? Here's the thing. <laughs> um, they eventually do get into in the end of Ultima 9 Ascension, they talk about where the Guardian came from. And I kind of think it's dumb, to be honest with you, because they said that the the Guardian was created as, like, the anti-energy uh, that came from the Avatar fulfilling all of these virtuous um, right. endeavors, sure. I guess. So when, when he became a paragon of virtue, the antithesis of that was created in the Guardian, which is where he came from. I kind of like the idea that he was just this really badass, like, interdimensional, you know, nuisance, you know, like Q or something from Star Trek. Like, he would just cause really bad things. Um, because in, in Ultima 8, which a lot of people really did not like, that was a world where the Guardian had held sway and had basically had his way with this world, and, you know, the primal gods of, of that world had basically been subverted completely or, or had been destroyed by him, and it was like, you know... 1984 Orwellian lockdown in fantasy form, and I really like that. I found the um, the the city of Tenebrae and the um, just kind of the overall scenario for that game to be really interesting, and it was all driven by the idea of this guardian who had set up his own uh, perverted forms of the virtues, um, you know, something to compete with the Avatar's virtues, and they all made sense, and it was really kind of cool to see the the interplay between the Avatar's value system and what they created with the Guardian at Origin Systems when they created this game. So I really like the Guardian as uh, as a baddie. Um, like I said, he kind of ended up being explained in kind of a dumb way, but I really liked what he had wrought um, throughout the Ultima series, so <laughs> that's one of mine. <clears throat> How long are each of those games? Uh, pretty long. They yeah. are like full on yeah. RPGs. And you played uh, all of them. Uh, well, no. I mean, I mostly dabbled in a, in a bunch of them up up to like seven, and then I ended up just kind of putzing around uh in in most of those. But I played significantly Ultima Seven, Serpent Isle, um, Ultima Eight. Played a lot of that, and then played through most of Nine. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good series, and honestly, that is a series that I think would be ripe for a, a really cool and comprehensive, like, remake, but I, I couldn't It'd really be cool if they did that all in in one consistent graphical style or something, yeah. you know? There actually have been fan projects to do exactly that, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see anybody making a lot of money doing it, <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, the second villain that, uh, unless you wanted to go, would you rather talk about your villain? Oh, uh, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll pull one out here. Um, so the villain of uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, like, actually there's quite a few of them, uh, probably the main one that your your character would uh, would consider his rival is the, the, the boy that he kind of grew up with. Um, and uh, he goes by the name of uh, Delita, uh, Hyrule is his last name. And... Um, 
it starts out as like uh, your main character Ramza and, and Delida are uh, both cadets at this like little this kind of like military institution thing. Uh, they're, you, they're, you get to name youths. the characters though in this game, right? So um, I think in so. my game, yeah. I was named Jeremy, and my nemesis was named Dale. So funny. This this confusion is going to be very. <laughs> this discussion um, will be very confusing. But uh, so basically, the I'm not going to go through the whole the whole story here or anything. But uh, I think the the main reason that I like this this villain. Um, and and actually, for the most of the game, you're not actually working against each other. It's like you're kind of both. Um, you're on different sides of this conflict, right? It sort of starts out that way, but then as the as the plot goes along, like it turns out that you're not so much on different sides. But then as it gets resolved, you kind of go back to being that way again. And it's like this whole it's like this whole real. It's a, there's a lot of political intrigue, but then there's also like kind of like demons from another dimension intrigue, <laughs> you know, right and, right, and stuff. And um, but it, but basically in the end, uh, you know, after like decades. Or, you know, or probably at least a decade of, of war and, and growing up and stuff. Um, the, 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 you know, the huge world ending disaster is averted and, you know, the last, the demons are defeated or whatever. But then uh, your character has basically had to kind of suffer exile. And um, Delida has, in the meantime, like found his way to the top of the totem pole and basically, it's like married the princess, and uh, and then he kills her, and then he becomes the Whoa. king. And yeah, it's it's pretty messed up, uh, <laughs> because because she knew that he was only you know using her or whatever, right? And uh, basically, in the end, it's kind of like the 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 game ends on him, basically the you know that your rival or whatever, the kind of they're sitting there reflecting, going, you know, wondering about like you. And you know what? What became of you in this whole thing? And did you did you ever compromise yourself, or, or you know, like he had to, or, or whatever? Um, wow. So it's not a, it's not your conventional like um, you know a, a t- mustache twirling. Uh, you know, he's always throwing up some like boss for you to fight and explaining his you know uh, right. dastardly plan or whatever. It's it's <laughs> a very different sort of sort of. Um, villain uh in and in, in a game that i think is it's very much a, mi- a mixture of sort of fantasy pulpy stuff but also it's that uh kind of that that matsuno um uh, intrigue like you get from like tactics ogre or vagrant story right. and stuff as well right so so i i think that's that's one of my favorite game endings overall and and that's also one of my favorite um um uh, He's he's kind of a recurring character in the story that kind of pops up here and there. He's like always a step ahead of you, always right. kind of knows what's going on and knows which lever to pull before he you. He always has the fire Pokemon when you pick the leaf Pokemon <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's basically. like if Yasumi Matsuno had written Pokemon, mm-hmm. that's what what's what we're yeah. Talking about. So so I think uh, he's one of my favorites. Uh, that's a good one. I uh, yeah, I never really got that far in in uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, but oh man, that War of the Lions I mean, edition. I, that's a... Yeah, well, I mean, that's the one I got, and I would always get to a point where I was just either not leveled enough, or I just I would just get steamrolled at some point. And uh, I, I've only got room. I mean, if I have to choose between Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics, I'm sorry, Final Fantasy Tactics. I got to go with Tactics Ogre. Oh, on this. Man. I, th- I think I think that might be the wrong decision, actually. 
Oh man. <laughs> but uh, what's you got another? You're one my is? nemesis, Dale. You got another? Villain? I do. I do have another one. So my other one uh, is not only one of my favorite video game villains, but one of my favorite villains of all time, and and it is also a little bit of an unconventional one. Uh, did you ever? Uh, well, I know that you've heard of because Jared and I have talked about this, but you've heard of the Homeworld series, right? Oh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've played the, a little bit of this. Okay, perfect. So uh, with the recent remakes, the version that did not come back to us uh, was unfortunately Homeworld Cataclysm, which I guess you could maybe say it's Homeworld 1.5. And uh, it is essentially kind of a side story, so it's like Homeworld Gaiden, and uh, you play as this mining vessel that discovers a um, sort of a a, um, condemned or or a cordoned-off section of space, uh, like a tiny little container, and apparently it contains this biomechanical, like, xenophage type thing, uh, which you unleash, and it basically immediately starts assimilating your ships and uh, rearranging them on a molecular level and basically corrupting them, uh, at which point they can then spread that uh, in proximity with any other ships. And this villain is called the Beast because it has a consciousness, but it's like this collective um, bestial, like unintelligible thing. And all it wants to do is consume stuff. And so in the context, like as far as villains go, you don't really think of a really interesting villain in an RTS or in a, in a spacefaring RTS. But this thing is so freaking scary um, because it, it just moves on you and you have to attack it from range. And they set up all throughout the game just these different scenarios where, you know, you just cannot get close to it because it will immediately subsume any of your own units and immediately turn them. And, and they get like this like real crappy, like rusty, gross, biological looking, you know, crud mm-hmm. on them. And they immediately turn around and they'll start shooting at you. Um, and it's just like scary. And anytime there's like dialogue, you know, usually it's like your character's talking and whenever you see the beast, it's like this weird like alien maw thing. Um, and so eventually th- throughout the game, you have to find a way to eventually defeat this beast. And I have, I, I don't know if it's, I, I mean, I really think that the idea of the beast is an evocative idea. Um, the idea of being assimilated. I mean, some of the great villains of all time, like the Borg from Star Trek had that going on. And, uh, you know, there was a particular episode of the cartoon, the Smurfs that I found to be terrifying as a child, <laughs> Uh, because the Smurfs would catch this purple jumping oogie boogie disease and they would go around biting other Smurfs on the tail and they would get that too. That stuff gave me nightmares, man. I don't know, I don't know who conceived of that, but the beast taps into that like real, I mean, it's like primal spider fear in me. Um, you know, the idea of zombies like propagating each other and, and just biting others and, and spreading that way. Um, so I, I, when I, whenever I think of awesome video game villains, I think of the beast from Homeworld Cataclysm. And it's unfortunate (laughs) because there's not really a good way to, to play the campaign anymore. I think there were some people working on modding it into through. Is that not on uh, GOG or something like that? No, it's kind of nowhere. In fact, from what I understand, they've essentially lost the original material for it. So. Um, so I think the best way to do it is going to be from, from modders, uh, essentially rebuilding it using Steam Workshop tools for, for <laughs> Homeworld Remastered. So kind of an interesting story there. And maybe I'll go check on that. I haven't looked for a while. So maybe, maybe you can play it now. Okay. Well, I've got one other pick. And again, it's another sort of, this is a villain that I think is interesting because it's, he's very much not your typical villain. And, um, he, he is the, uh, 
again, he's kind of a, a rival to your main character. But in uh, in the, in The Witcher Two, um, the game begins with the assassination of a king who uh, who who the Witcher Geralt is basically working for at that time, and maybe not exactly serving as a bodyguard, but sort of on retainer to this to this king who is who is assassinated. Um, by the the guy who you, you, you come to find out that the, this guy his name is Letho, and he himself is also a witcher, but he's a witcher from a different school of of witcher practice, right? The witcher from a different pitcher, right? So there's all these different like so so Geralt is from like the the wolf school of uh, of witchers, right? Like the he's the white wolf, right? Um, and Letho is from the it's like the serpent school or there's like there's several different ones right i don't remember all Uh the details um but over the course of the game you come to find out that um yes he was the assassin um who killed the king that you were sort of working for at the time but maybe that's not the whole entire story right and so um at the at the very end of the, like the climax of the game you can if you've worked through um all the quests and everything and you've kind of um sorted out all the all the various political intrigue and stuff when it comes right down to it you and he are are not so much different you know what i mean it's one of those sorts of situations not so different to you and exactly I. right and so uh at the very end you you have a choice you can you can fight and do your best to kill letho or you can you kiss him. You can basically you can have that that moment of like sort of professional respect. Like, uh, hey, you and I were just uh, we were on the we happen to be on two sides of two separate sides of the same thing going on, and uh, we can continue to sort of stay out of each other's way and, and let bygones be bygones. Um, so don't they just kill monsters? Like, what would they have to disagree about? Um, well. How do you define who's a monster and what's what makes someone monstrous? Right. I mean, there's in and in, in The Witcher 2, especially there's a, a, a gigantic sort of like war for succession sort of thing going on. And so there's a lot of ins and outs. But uh, right. but yeah, there's um, that's the beauty part about that game is that you can you can get to the end. And depending on the choices that you made or. Um, the way that you choose to see the conflict, you can kind of make a case either way. Like, uh, you know, my, my code of honor does now require me to kill this guy or it doesn't. And in fact, going ahead and doing that would be against my code of honor. Right. So that's, it's one of the really interesting things about that game and, and, and indeed about that character, Letho. And actually if you let him live, um, he pops up again in The Witcher Three. Um, Interesting, and uh, you can run into him there and and have another pretty interesting. Hate him again. Hate him all over again. Uh, have a have a pretty interesting encounter. I'll say if yeah. you if you let him live. They're gonna kiss. I know it. Yes. 
Well, uh, listeners, speaking of getting to the end of things, uh, you've now gotten to the end of this episode of the Game Byte Show podcast, and uh, it's been a good time, but I think it's time to move on, uh, because in a few days we're going to be back to talk to you about the video games that we've been playing. That's something we, that we do uh, in the middle of the week. Um, if you have any thoughts about the news of the week, any of the new releases that you're looking forward to, or if you've got some favorite villains and games that you'd like to share with us, uh, it's a super interesting discussion to have. We'd certainly love to have that with you. Uh, to do so, you can reach out to us on Twitter, out on social media, we are at Game Bites Show. You can also reach out to us individually. I am at Jeremy underscore Lamont. And I am at Count Elmdor. You can also find our two missing compadres, uh, Legrand Jolly at L-E-G-R-A-N-D-E and Jared Redeye Dunn at R-E-D underscore I. Uh, Jared, you may have seen him twice a week now. Actually, maybe I'm not supposed to say that. He's sort of soft-launching the idea of doing two streams a week. Uh, and he did, actually, uh, just yesterday, this weekend, play a little bit of Dreadnought. So uh, we're probably going to be playing that this coming Monday. So by the time you listen to this, we're probably already playing it right this minute. So hurry and head over to twitch.tv slash show. Yes! Uh, but if you happen to miss us, you can always go over to youtube.com slash show and catch our work there as well. You can find us over at www.gamebyteshow.com and uh, find all of our stuff there. Subscribe to us on RSS. Send your best frenemy over to us and uh, we will be happy to accept their subscription on our RSS feed. Until next time, folks, this has been your Game Byte Show podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Do 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 do